In today's conversation, Patrick and I get to chat with Christian Cook. He's a trainer and paddling coach in Florida and an all-around amazing human. We talk about racing, training, mindset, and getting to that next level. Enjoy. Welcome to the Wicked Aloha podcast. Today, we are joined by a good friend, Christian Cook. You may have seen him at any number of races all across the country. Uh, he and his family travel literally everywhere to race, stand up paddleboard, outreach canoe, six man, two man, one man. Um, he has a training program down in Florida. And so we wanted to catch up with him and see how training is going. So, yeah, Christian, man. welcome to the show. Yeah, we get a little hot. <laughs> Wicked aloha. Yeah, it's been doing great, man. Training steady down here. You know, just living, pretty much living a paddler's dream. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about uh, the program that you have going on down there and how it started, how it came to fruition, and well, how you got to where you are today, I guess. Basically, my kid, when he was really small, he wanted to go surfing, and I didn't really know much about surfing. I knew I wasn't good at it. And I was about 38. I was like one of those 38-year-olds that used to be in great shape but still thought they were in good shape. You know, thought they were cool, thought that, that everything still applied to when they were like 25. And I went to the beach, and I kind of pushed them in waves, and I, I surfed for about 20 minutes. I went home and slept for two hours. I'm probably blushing right now, to be honest, you know. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a joke, man. I'm one of those guys who actually thinks I'm fit, and I'm not even close to anything. So, but I had a lot of years of training. I had, I had lifted weights like uh, Olympic style since I was about 12 years old. And I had a lot of, you know, uh, knowledge. Because back in those days when you trained at the gym, you weren't allowed to do something wrong. Be a guy 220 pounds in your face going, hey, man, you put the weight up wrong or something like that. The accountability. And everybody helped everybody. You didn't have to pay somebody to help you. So I started training. And the first thing I started training for was the paddle out. You know, and then... I trained for a year. I built some programs for myself to get better at just getting out. My first wave I caught in like seven months, and I caught it by accident on the way out. Big white water just turned me around, spun me, and I was on the way. Wow. So I kind of felt, you know, kind of goosebumpy, chicken skin about it. And uh, I really started making a lot of progress. So when the winter, when the spring, when the uh, wetsuits started coming off, I, I initially paddled up to like the, the older guys that were my age, and I'd be like, hey, man, how do you go down the line? How do you do that? And they're like, you need to go down over there. You're getting in the way. And I was like, what? That's surf hospitality, man. Yeah, that was so my it, introduction. Was this on a stand-up paddleboard? or this a regular was on a from Yeah, like a, a six-foot uh, little, little handshake board. So I paddled up to like these kids that were 13 years old, and I'm like, hey, yeah, I'm like, hey, uh, how do you guys go down the line? And he looks at me and he goes, dude, all you got to do, man, is go like this and line it up. And that, that is actually still the tribe that taught me how to surf to this day. So, I, you know, as an older guy, I learned how to surf pretty aggressively, go for floaters, go for kind of wild stuff because of my crew was these kids. And then I noticed as a couple years go by with the workouts that all the guys who told me to go down over there, I was paddling a little faster than these guys, and I was more fit. I wasn't at their skill set yet, but I noticed the door was slowly closing on them a little bit, and I started making a lot of progress. And then, then stand-up paddling came along, and I initially did that to be a better surfer. And then you realize you can 
you can catch a hundred waves versus you know killing yourself to catch maybe seven in a day and it just kind of started taking on a life of its own and i felt so exhilarated and just in awe of what was happening with me physically and mentally you know um i was like wow man if i could just get someone to to do this with me um I know it would effectively change your life. It was never a money-making thing. And my wife was always like, well, why don't you charge money? I'm like, well, you can't get paid to do this, first of all. That was my first thing. <laughs> I was going to give you money to do this. Come on. And my, my big piece was because I know at the end of the day, the people get to feel like we feel. You know, I'm not as fast as Danny Chang. I'm not as fast as, as Will. Nothing like that. But I feel like him when I'm up there. I feel phenomenal when I'm on the bump. It's such a mind-blowing moment. So it was kind of that journey to training people and meeting people and slowly building clientele, or I call them athletes, you know, slowly working with different level athletes, um, different sizes, and just seeing the athlete in them, and as I did with myself when, you know, surfers were telling me to go down the way. Yeah. So when, when you, just for a little perspective, you are how old now? 52. Not to call you out or anything. Yeah, that's all right. And so you were 38 then, so what's that, 18 years? Not, no, that's bad math. That's uh, <laughs> 14 years. Yeah. Um, and where were you in terms of uh, what you were doing for work? Because uh, I, I kind of know your backstory, so I, I think it's really kind of unique about how you made that transition. So I'd love for you just to kind of, yeah, I'd love for you just to go through your kind of work transition to where you are now. Yeah, basically, I was running restaurants. I was working some serious time. You know, in restaurants, you're anywhere from 60 to 70 hours a week. I was I was a little higher up. I worked my way up from busting tables. And um, I probably had a little better quality of life than I did when I was, you know, working every other point of it. But I basically... Uh, was helping this lady, I, you know, I, money was good, I was part owner, I was helping this lady and she wasn't happy. I didn't say anything mean to her, I just called my wife up and I said, I think I'm gonna train people for a living. And she was, she goes, no, you can't, you gotta wait till I graduate. I said, no, actually I, actually, I think that's what I'm gonna do. So I love you, I'm coming home, I'm putting in my two weeks. So I, that was the day I put my two weeks in, I just kind of went for it. I, I figured, because I knew, I, I, I do financial planning for restaurants and P&L projections for, you know, $10 million in units and things like that. I knew if I did the math, the answer would be don't go. So I never did the math because I already knew I couldn't make, the money wasn't going to be there. And it couldn't be about the money. So I based it. So my whole mental philosophy was I want to make money doing what I want to do, working with the people that I want to work with, people that want to be, who want to be athletes. It didn't matter if they're overweight. It wasn't about losing five pounds. It was, if you want to train with me, this is a 5, 10, 15-year deal. This isn't nine months and you're trying to lose five pounds. Nothing like that. It's a long game. It's a long game, yeah. It's the investment into the person and to always hold them accountable and see the athlete in them and, and not look at the other things. How do you feel? How is your performance? Here's how you can be better. Yeah, that was phenomenal. Now that you got to this point, now we can really start training and kind of take it to the next level. And seeing that – because – at our age, when does somebody come up to you at well, my age, not your age, but when does somebody come up to you? You don't hear words like, hey, man, you have potential. You're an athlete. 
You know, I mean, you can really do something in three to five years. Most people are think you're you're pretty much done at that point. Yeah. And that's that's what I saw. That's what I saw. Something that could inspire and change people's life. And what I learned in running restaurants is if you can help someone become a winner at work, if you can help someone become a winner on the water of how they feel about themselves, it transcends everything they do. Yeah. There's a, I came across something on Instagram and it's just basically a picture of uh, an overweight person. And it says it took, took you 30 years to make this. Don't expect don't expect it to take six months to, and then it shows a picture of someone that's in shape with like yeah. abs and muscles and everything. Don't expect it to take six months to make this. And so it's, it just kind of, it's important to realize that it, it is a long game. It's a, it's a marathon. It's not going to happen overnight and you have to commit yeah, to it. You're so right. And like being healthy, isn't it, isn't necessarily, doesn't equate to having abs all the time. I've met many guys and people in my life who you would never think they were at whatever level athlete and they were high level athletes and whatever they were doing. So it's funny. The package is kind of a misnomer. That's what we think health is, but is it really, I don't necessarily know that answer. I think it's somewhere in the middle, either one extreme or the other extreme, but it's a balance. I've seen all different sides do some amazing things. Yeah. Abs are a completely superficial thing. Yeah. I mean, they're great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, that's a it's a that's kind of a super inspirational story because I think everyone's been in a point where they just are just over their job completely. I mean, I've I've been there plenty of times, and you you have to be able to just jump off that that cliff and realize that they're you know as long as you're you can be passionate about something and really want it bad enough, you can make it work. Uh, because there's so many opportunities out there now. Um, so that's why I love your story. I'm, I'm glad you shared it with us. Uh, yeah, thanks. So what what's the name? What's the name of, of your? Uh, Cross Up. Cross Up. It's like the, uh, the, that bar, bar three or something it's called, you know, the, the dance movements. And her whole thing is she was pointing out, like, all the flaws with the current uh, fitness industry and how there's it's focused on where you are now and like the future you you know with a picture of your the p90x for example you know it's like oh you just need six weeks and you're gonna look like this and yeah, it's like exactly right it's a, it's a totally misconceived way of approaching fitness and i've fallen prey to it as well but you know hearing you guys talk about it's the long game you know and that's something that i'm just and i'll be 52 in in uh, uh two weeks yeah, and I'm I'm just finding out now. I'm just like, all right, it's not something you just jump on and get fit for a race and then fall back off. You got to stay with it. You know, a philosophy that one of my training partners is that I've always said, you know, a 20, 30 mile race, be ready at all times. If, yeah. if you're a litmus test is if you can paddle out in a hurricane storm, then yep. your training program works. There's no argument. Yep. You can't argue with it. Yeah. That's where you're at. Yeah. So it's it's that. Really, man, I, the one gift that I've had, I can't read a book or a paragraph about training. It's difficult for me to get through and comprehend. It always has been. Yeah. But I can write a program for a year and do every single workout for, wow. for that year. So I have, I can take it and make it tangible. When people give me stuff, I can say, okay, give me a year and a half, and I'll let you know what it does for me specifically. Yeah. So yeah. 
where I struggle in one aspect, I have, you know, an innate ability to stick to things. And I love the journey. I almost love training as much as the event. And the event's just about enough pressure to keep you accountable. You know, I think everybody should have big events on their schedule three to four years out. So they do know something's coming at all times. Because right. without that, the pressure's gone. And I really believe that, you know, the killer of greatness is comfort. Yeah. No doubt. So it's definitely a, a huge factor to um, having an event to hold you accountable. Because I know, so Christian and I were supposed to do uh, Maui to Molokai uh, on two-man together. And once we got that locked in, my bar for training just jumped up that much higher. I was, like, I had, I had never stopped training. But yeah. my... Uh, consistency greatly increased my uh, desire to do it increased like just having that end goal there set in place was just like all right that's the finish line and I need to keep working until I get to that finish line and then once the race starts then it's a whole other goal then there's another, then there's another a finish line beautiful analogy of exactly how I believe you should treat everybody that you train and athletes that you work with is there's always a date coming and they always have that pressure. So what happens is when you're working with them, their accountability changes. They're going, Oh no, I'm going because I have to train. And they're, they, they really start to understand the importance of having that event. Time. Just, just like you said, Will, you know, it's coming. So you're accountable. You have to do that for your people as well. Know them personally, know it, know how, how, it, how to kind of put that, get that little, God, I want them nervous a little bit. I want that nerves kind of going so they have that energy and then teach them how to manage that energy over time. Yeah. Um, when you were just talking about uh, being ready for like the hurricane swell and everything, it reminded me of something that I had heard Laird talk about um, a while ago, which was making sure that you're an asset and not a liability. And and that's part of part of all the training is just you know to make yourself worth something. You know, and and not be someone who needs to be picked up at the end. Yeah, you know, you're you're the guy who can be doing the picking up if if it comes to it. Uh, so I, I like that, I like that mentality of being an asset and not being a liability. After a big surf session over there, I always notice that when I come back to the training, the training training seems somewhat easy comparatively. It was never <laughs> easy, but it always seemed like oh, this is I'm not underwater. You know. Yeah. Laird had another great quote, with great expectation comes great disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what you live by in New England, man. Kind of ironic, huh? A truer statement has never been spoken about the surfer's life up here in the Northeast, because for years and years and years, people would just, you know, the Hurricane Channel, you know, the Weather Channel, watching Hurricane Tracker and all this, and then the thing is like, Yeah. And the trouble with that is, Another thing you were saying is that there's a, you know, I, I look at the first generation of the of the group of guys that used to surf prior to me, and a lot of those guys are getting knee replacements now. There, there's, I would say, out of the ten, there's probably three that are left surfing, and they're all not much older than us, you know, sixty, sixties. Yeah. But the problem is the approach is, is these guys just coast all year, and then all of a sudden the category four comes up the coast. And they're out putting in eight, 10 hour days in the water on shoulders that haven't seen a bit of load in like nine months. And all of a sudden it's like shoulders gone, hips, hips messed up, nerves pinched in the back. And it's, it's like, 
a good friend of mine, Thomas and I, we, we talk about, it. he's, you know, he's a little bit older than me. He's, you know, uh, but we're like, we got to be in this thing for the long game. It's not just, you know, you hear guys like, oh, there's swell coming. I better start training. It's like, dude, you should have been saying that a year ago or five years ago. But, I mean, that's it's something that if I'm you just don't learning. Do it, you won't do it. That's it. You don't do it if you don't keep moving. I know that there's a lot less pain if I move every single day. Yeah. You know? So and I think – go ahead. Yeah, I think in the situation of you guys where, you know, Will's in Maui and you're in Florida, the access to – to warm, favorable conditions year-round is 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 a little bit easier than trying to paddle out when it's blowing 25 yeah, and it's yeah, 30 no degrees doubt. out and the water's frozen. No which doubt. is, in the end, it's always a cop out, but it's definitely a motivation for, you know, if you if you want to stay in the long game, you got to be somewhere where you can do it every day, and that's something that I'm working on, as Will well knows. <laughs> getting the hell out, you know, <laughs> it's supposed to be in Hawaii now, and it's like, all right, this, you know, we're out the virus and everything else, but it's all right, I'll get there. You were yeah. supposed to be in Hawaii a couple months ago. I was supposed to be in Hawaii a couple of years ago. Let's be honest about this. Yeah. It was actually 20, uh, 2016 I was supposed to be there. So. But well, I will be set up next year. Some M2M. Yeah. I plan on it. I'm signed up for M2O this year. I don't know if they're going to scrap it or not, but I've been training. I'm like, they're not going to. to uh, Are you doing stand-up M2O? Yeah, I want to do it one more time. I've done it three times. I'd like to do it one more time and try to get a really good time. And, yeah. And, uh, and just from there, just do other things, man. It's, it's you know, it's enough. I've done it four times. Really? Yeah, tandem and then solo. And, yeah, man, that thing, awesome. you, don't, you don't finish it and think you're cool. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's, not like a, it's not like you score a touchdown and slam the ball and go, I'm the man. No. You bow your head, you kiss your wife, and you go home to the kids, man. That's, That's right. Fun. That's right. No swagger from it. No. Nope. The last three miles of that thing. Bro. Bro. It's so funny you just did that because I talk to my buddy about it all the time. I go, anytime you mention the last three miles of M2O, everybody always goes. It's <laughs> 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 true. But I think well, as, as East Coasters, that's for me, that's when, once I come around the corner there, it's just like, sweet. This is easy now because yeah. all we do is grind. Yeah, it's like the Chattajack mentality. It's just, you know, once you but coming in that last three miles before when you get off off the the walls there and yeah. the refraction, it's like holy shit, man. Washing machine. Yeah, coming around the corner into the wind is is like it's like getting the the reward. It's like oh thank God I can finally relax my legs. My solo year, I caught a nice little ride and like a server got mad at me. I'm like bro. Yeah. Come on, man. I'm not, I, I don't take waves, but come on, man. Yeah. Some level of data. Yeah. 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 I still felt bad. I still like, damn, I should have done it. Yeah. The year I paddled M2O stand up, I ended up passing, I think, six people after China Walls just, wow. because, yeah. just because I was paddling into the wind. And yep. I did catch a couple waves where I passed one or two guys on each wave. But uh, I, yeah, I definitely out sprinted a guy at the you know the final few hundred yards yeah. going into the wind. Yeah, and every every year I've done it, I've reeled in at least five people from the corner to the finish line. Wow. It's just because I wanted it to be over, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, hurts. That's that's what I tell my kid when we get the last three miles end to end is look, we're going. It's already it's already gonna be what it's gonna be. Let's let's go. You know. Uh, 
So what, what kind of programs do you have going right now? Um, you're operating in the gym, you're operating on the water. Uh, are you mostly focusing on canoe work right now? Well, there's, there's, a, there's multiple things that we do. We're in the gym uh, one to two days a week. Uh, you know, it's easy to say, hey, man, all you got to do is paddle to be a better paddler. All you got to do is swim to be a better swimmer. But I think if you look at the way things are now, people understand the more cross-training you do, the better you're going to be. And when you – and I'm, my philosophy is tell, if you're 52 telling me that, I might listen. But when you're 20-something telling me that, I don't think you really understand what it means to be 52 and what you have to do just for status quo at 52. you got to put in a serious amount of work. So – we're in the gym once a week. What we do in the gym is we do stuff designed around body movement, um, weight movement, and breath control. We do a lot of inversion work as well, so where we get boots and get upside down. So we'll like one set would be ten breath hold push-ups, one breath out, one breath in, eight breath hold pull-ups, invert. 10 toe touches, 10 breaths, come out, 10 breath hold push-ups. And we would do that for 20 rounds. So you end up with, you know, quite a few, a pretty big number. But what happens is because you're controlling your breath and you're limiting yourself to the breath, it's literally like training underwater. It's tough stuff, man. And it makes everything seem – because I noticed when I did breath control in the pool when I would go, go paddle out and bigger stuff, I would still feel a little panicked. But, and I'm like, man, this needs to be something that I just do in the line when I'm checking out, you know? And, it, and it's really coming. It's, I do it every single day now. And now when I get a little hold down, I'm always like, oh, my body's like, oh, yeah, you live here, man. This is this is where you live. So it's helped quite a bit. So in the gym, we do a lot of gym movements that you would know. But in addition to it, we do breath control in the gym movements. So you and I, if we're doing a set together, we'd have a limited number of breaths. And we would all take our breaths together. And did, I, and did I hear you just you did a thousand pull-ups recently? Yeah, yeah. Ah. I didn't have to hold my breath though, so it was a little advanced. But that's not bad at 52, man. No, no. At any age, for that matter. Yeah. It really, it really is incredible as you as you get up the rungs of life. Right. How many people cop out on the number? Like you know, I've been I've been a carpenter for a couple decades and. And he just, you know, when I was 20, I was hearing from the 30-year-olds, ah, wait till you get to be my age. And then when I got 30, the 40-year-olds, wait till you get to be my age. And now I got fucking guys younger than me going, ah, oh, man, wait till you get to be my age. I'm like, how old are you, man? Right. But, I've yeah. heard, I yeah. had one guy, he came up to me, he goes, hey, I got a pain right here in my chest. I go, is that your only pain? He goes, yeah. I go, that'd be the best day of my freaking life. Get out of here, man. Uh, go down the way, bro. You don't know what you're talking about yet. Yeah. 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 So funny. Uh, we do uh, pool training as well one day a week with running underwater with the weights. But we do like a rescue style. So if you had to try to save somebody, so you would go 25 meters underwater and then you would sprint back and then 25 meters and spin each other. And just do, we just really have a blast under there. And then we paddle about 50 miles a week working on different technique stuff in those 50 miles. Yeah. That, that, go ahead. I was going to say that you – you told me before that you're doing 40 to 50 miles a week, and I, I can't remember the last time I battled 40 to 50 miles a week. Uh, just like you, even in the training that I'm doing, it's just it's probably topping out at like 30 to 40, maybe. 
but it's it's a hard 30 or 40. So oh, yeah. that, that, that's great. That's great that you're getting on the water that much. I think there's room for a hundred and, and the, the fact is when you just love it out there that much, it just seems like the more I paddle, the, God, there's just so much more flow to it and so much more comfortability just being in the sea for three hours and, and there's just nothing. There's no, I don't think there's anything more meditative than pain. You know, people talk about meditate and peace and sit there. That's painful to me. You know, I'm learning <laughs> how to do that, before, but that's painful to me. Sit still, and you're like, Jesus, man, you feel like you're six again, and your mom's pissed, you know? But when you're out there, and you're in pain, and you're moving, and it draws you all in, you know, I think the moment of any type of paddling race that you think you can't handle anymore, and then you go another 15 miles, is like the best moment of all of it, you know? It's not to win. I'm not motivated to beat you, so that would never work for me, you know? But the, the internal strife, Man, that's that's some of the best demon beating I've ever done. Yeah. I wonder what it is about that. There seems to be a lot of talk, not a lot of talk, but a, a growing interest in in that type of uh, kind of embracing the suck. And I mean, look at the popularity of Spartan races, right? It's yeah. huge, and people are realizing that that this, uh, for lack of a better term, enlightenment or like a kind of a peace of mind is is found through some sort of voluntary suffering. And uh, I think they're really starting to understand the journey. Yeah. You know, because when if you think about referencing your life when you're, because I'm always like, when I'm sitting in a bed, am I going to remember, I want to remember the feel of the water hitting my hand with the paddle when I hold on that stroke. I literally take every stroke like I'm writing a sentence in a book and I want to remember that stroke so purposefully. It's mm -hmm. so, like, it's all about enjoying that moment, having that reference to think about those things. You know, that's your signature on life. Why would you want to, ah, what are you doing, dude? Yeah, yeah. Slow it down and, and really make love to that thing a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. How would you break up your, your 50 miles of paddling a week? I've seen some pictures of you in a V1. Do you have a, a V1, an OC1? Yeah, my friend has a V1 that I use. So we have multiple V1s around here. Um, I'll go V1 once a week for eight miles, which is like doing 20 miles on whatever else you're paddling. Yeah. Yeah, you guys have paddled one, but... Oh, man, yeah. They're humbling. A lot of patience, and it's a different sport. It's not OC1. Yeah. you got to yeah. deal with that right off. It is yeah. an absolutely different sport. Yeah. But the strength you develop is pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. You know, when you go back to an OC1, it kind of feels like, oh, I'm only paddling this line versus right. here, 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 right. rear drag and things like that. Yeah. So I'll do eight miles in a V1 at pacing stroke. So my goal in that is just to feel good. Um, then I'll do 16 miles on a Sunday in an OC1 at about level two, just smooth. And it's funny because it's, it's not high intensity, but that seems to have the biggest impact on like um, how I feel later in the day. I kind of kick in my butt. Maybe it's three hours in the boat or whatever it is, but um, it's, it's probably one of the more challenging ones. And then I'll do OC2 with a couple of athletes that I work with, and we'll do pacing with building up tempo sprints so that when you so when people shift into a sprint, I try to teach them that the shift happens below the water when the blade's set. It doesn't happen on top of the water. Because what happens is when you when you got a crew that you're working with, you say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna add on the next 30 strokes. They get excited, right? 
they short that stroke, they rush the crossover, then they speed up the recovery versus going, okay, we're going to add, once the blade is set, we're going to add together as a crew so we're all on the same page and work on things like that at building up speed throughout the boat. And then I'll do some OC1 work a couple other days of the week. And it depends because we have we have downwind runs plus intercoastal, so we can do a lot of good current work, seeing where to be, where not to be, or you know things like that, and still get a downwind run for like four or five miles. Don't, don't you have an unlimited OC6 as well? Yeah, we have an unlimited OC6 too. We take that out. You know, we're not like an OC6 crew who just does OC6 races. Like, I want these people to be able to go out and gnarly stuff and be safe and be a mile offshore and upside down with 25-mile-an-hour winds and not panicking. So to me, racing is kind of this thing that, yeah, we'll go to a race, but and we'll, we'll do whatever we can to win the race, but it doesn't mean anything. The trophy doesn't mean anything, and all that matters is it's just another training day. It's just another day to help become a better water person. Do you have a um, – do you follow anything – close to like the Pareto's principle of 80-20 as far as workload goes, where 80% should be sort of an aerobic level and own 20% being high intensity stuff? Or do you have a, a percentage that you work with or you just go by feel? I guess my philosophy is when I, when I went to Hawaii, like I had been stand up paddling for three years and I did M2O with my buddy. And I noticed that the Hawaiians, they free dive, they surf, they prone. They do so much. That's just what they do. You know what I mean? They may train to a point, but they live a lifestyle. And I didn't want to move to the kingdom. I didn't want to. I didn't want to do that. I I just wanted to be able to bring that to where I live locally and try to have that culture that one day when I'm 80, I can come back and visit and still be involved in that local community that I built. That I helped build. You know. So I guess last is more, if I have to paddle eight miles to go to work every day, well, that kind of bumps up my intensity, bumps up my performance, because it's just what I do. It's just an extension of who I am. Right. So yes, I have dabbled with that a little bit, but it's not, the way I see it is that the more that it's just the culture of what I'm doing all the time, that's my way of kind of getting better. You know? right. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I feel like you've kind of started a, a whole little canoe club down there. And it's crazy. It's crazy what happened. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it, because so I'm on your your private group on Facebook or whatever, and you have so many people that are just uh, you know, they're I'm not going to say religious, but uh. It's it, it is a cult. That was what I was telling you. <laughs> you started a cult following down there. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. Uh, so I initially try. Initially, I would train anybody, and you know what happens when you just train anybody and you offer this free thing. You're like, hey man, I'll train you. You just show up. I'll take you through some great workouts. We'll do this. I, you know, I was offering it to people, trying to give it to them. They don't respect. It. They have no respect for it because you're just trying to give it away. They maybe think there's an angle or something like that. Then oh, I said, then I, I, I literally didn't have, I wasn't making any money. I was just a little bit with some people that I was working with. And I basically started saying to people, I don't have time to train anybody. I had time. <laughs> At that time, I had time. 
was like, I don't have time to train anybody. And if you want me to train you, you can't call me on the phone. Don't shoot me a text. You got to track me down and find me. And then I'll know that you're, you're a person that I want to work with. And I started doing that. And basically it started at a handshake at a time. I wouldn't answer calls for people for like three phone calls. And it's a person who would send me the email, send me a call, send me a text, follow me up and try to meet me somewhere. Those are the people that I started working with. And I saw a fundamental change in, and for me, it was about proving to myself that my program worked. So I started working with my son who didn't have a choice. And I saw how fast he got good. And I was like, oh, you just need the right mind. You just need someone who trusts you and has the right mind. And that's what, how everything started to build into a cult-like mentality. And everything started changing from you. And I'm like, wow, if you don't let everybody in, people try to get in. And you don't have to chase anybody. So I was basically screaming over everybody's heads. And everybody I needed was right in front of me. And everybody I wanted to work with was right in front of me. So I slowed it back. I reeled it in. I made things private. And I kept everybody close to me and intimate. And I brokered the deal. I'll train you. Um, here's the parameters. You show up every single day. I don't care about your personal life. And what I mean by that is I love you and I care about you deeply, but I'm going to be more important than the person that you're going to have that deep conversation with. You can have that conversation with all your friends anytime you want. What I expect from you is that you bring it every day, whether you're menstruating, whether you're having a bad day, whether you're having a great day, no matter what you have going on, I'm going to get you away from work. By the time we're halfway through our training program, you'll want to be at work pushing papers. You'll want to be taking phone calls, paying bills, because we're going to take you mentally to a place where you are going to disengage from the world for 50, 60 minutes or whatever that, that is. And that's that's what I did. And it slowly started building from there. And now, you know, there's it's up to 30 people. Wow. And it's, it's pretty intensive, as Will knows, just being a part of it. It's, it's a very intensive program. And these guys show up every time and they bring it. Now they're my training partners. Well, I think one thing that's important is how organized and on top of things you are. Uh, I mean, you're, you're managing that whole big group and everybody has their role each single day and you've identified that. And so they, they know that going in into each, each week, exactly what they're doing and where they need to be. One of the questions in my head, Will, before I write the schedule is how can I challenge if if one person's in a seat or in a two, no matter what seat they're in, I always gave that some thought and there's a reason they're in it. If they look comfortable in the one, they're going back in the five to learn how to steer with the six. If they're comfortable in the six, they're going to go into three to show how to set momentum from the three. So I'm always looking at things. How can I make this person uncomfortable? Yeah, there's being uncomfortable is a good thing. So um, what what have been some of your your favorite races to go to uh, other 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 than coming coming out to Hawaii on the mainland? Uh, what are what are some of your your favorite races? My brain won't race to Hawaii. It's funny you say that. I know. I know it did. That's why I told you you couldn't you couldn't answer that. <laughs> um, Florida so Cup. Because it's our race course, we know it like the back of our hands. You know, we paddle it 200 times a year. So Florida Cup's one of my favorite races. Um, Chad Jack's one of my favorite races. I think I've done it every year, but one year. Um, how many? How many of your crew go up and do Chad Jack every year? Um, twenty something probably. So twenty something out of the thirty people that you train, yeah. what will yeah. go to Chad Jack? Yeah. It. Do you find that um, you might be kind of 
setting people up for Chattajack when when you're writing programs or um, setting setting training training up? What it does, like, so there'll be some people signed up for M2M. There'll be some people signed up for Chattajack or both. There'll be some people signed up for whatever they have going on. It's more of a vision working coaching tool because I'm very good at, so for example, if I'm doing a program and I'm doing a certain workout and I'm looking for a serious level intensity, right? I envision my kid in trouble in the water and I have to get to him. And as you know, to close the gap in the water, if he's, if he's a hundred yards away, it takes a long time to get to him, fit or not. You, are you better waiting for the wave? It takes patience and intelligence and a lot, a lot of these things. So my kids grew up surfing and in the water. So I was always envisioning them in trouble and bringing that intensity to whatever I was doing, right? So now all of a sudden I'm doing my reps super clean, super relevant, just like you would stroke a prone board, long and super clean so the board is flowing so you can save your kid's life, right? That type of intensity. So it gives me a coaching cue to go, hey, Will, I know you got Chattajack coming up, right? So what we want to do is we want to think real smart about our pacing. And I see you out there and you're going hard and that's cool. But you're going to have 31 miles that we're going to need to pace those 31 miles. And if you're at 57 strokes a minute, that's going to be kind of tough. Why don't we reel you down to 44 and you can load heavy and keep it real smooth and you can feel phenomenal the whole race. And then when you go back year two, year three, you can slowly build up the intensity of that race and slowly build it up until you're at a point that you can manage that growth. So it's, it's more of a coaching cue, cue that I like to use when people have events coming up. Do you take past years or prior years? Um, uh, how 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 athletes did in prior years and use that to build on for the next year? I would I would assume that you would. So you, you know, you look at someone's performance in Chattajack in 2019 and be like, oh, you know, you did it in uh, four hours and 30 minutes or something like let's that. Fall, let's fall back on the philosophy that I believe in. A race is just another training day. So normally by that time, they're, they're a totally different athlete. It's a totally different environment. It's totally different winds, currents. I think that if you start looking at times and manage yourself like that, you end up thinking those times matter and lose the importance of a journey. I've had many people finish Chattajack. I've done, I finished Chattajack. I finished M2M. And, I, and the first thing people ask me is, what was your time? And I'm always like, bro, I just paddled 27 miles with my kid. We're not what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, we went as hard as we could. We tried to win. We tried to do this. We were fast. We caught every wave. Our last mile was under six minutes. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. My kids saw an octopus. We saw over a thousand dolphins. <laughs> Journey's missed, man. The, the whole thing's missed if you start getting caught up in these things. If you can beat me in a race and you're puking at the end and I finish and feel fantastic, I'm ready for war when I hit the you know, so it's just a different mentality. And I'm not saying that mentality is wrong to do that. That's a great way to do it. It's just not what I want to do or how I want to coach or what I believe is going to motivate someone, you know, to compare themselves to whatever they used to be. There's more to it, I think. That journey is so important. It is. Uh, so what? what's, what's kind of the next finish line there is no finish line well and, and, I, and i'll tell you why what, what's the what's the next uh what's, what's the next intersection the next only reason there's no finish line is because when i was young i was i got in pretty 
pretty great shape, you know, and I thought I got there, and that was the worst thing I ever did because I got totally out of shape and got up to 190 pounds and was really heavy, and I kind of realized my biggest mistake was I thought I crossed the finish line. I think that's a dangerous way for me to think. So we have multiple things going on from paddles out in California. I want to do the Catalina. I want to do some, I want to do some six man races on some big waters and steer and coach on the big water. I'd rather fail on our terms than win on somebody else's terms, you know. So that's where it's at. Just continue to build the community and keep the vision that one day when we're old, we can come visit St. Pete and I go, hey, I got a crew we can go train with and paddle with, and it's already all in place. Have you heard about? Uh, there's this race going on in the Bahamas this this year. Well, I don't know if it's going on this year now, uh, but it was the it was like the Poseidon Challenge or something like that. Uh, it was pretty much every water event you can think of: uh, swimming, prone paddling, stand up paddling, outrigger paddling. Uh, was that the, all the um, ultimate waterman in Tahiti? Yeah, it was it's kind of along the same. That was fun to watch. Only it was it's in the in the Bahamas, um, and so the Bahamas is pretty close to Florida. So I, yes, ninety mile or seventy miles, something like that. They come from Bimini, is that right? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure which uh, island the Bahamas can, is. But you can't lie anymore because people can Google you. I lie and own it. Like you just Google me and go, that's not true. <laughs> it also depends on where where from Florida you're going from, but. Yeah. You were saying before you were doing Olympic lifts at 12 years old. How did you find that, or how did that cross your radar at that age? I met a buddy of mine named Billy Barrow. Everybody's probably got a Billy in their life that used to beat everybody up. And uh, found out he was my cousin, and he basically took me to the gym with him and, you know, took me to an iron, rusty iron gym where if you didn't put the weights back, they if you didn't put the weights back facing the right way, you got, a, got a, an ass chewing. You know, and I learned kind of how to lift from those days. Benching, uh, clean and jerk, squat. That was a long time ago, but sweet memories. And then you were in the military, correct? I was in the Army, yeah. I was in the Army for three years. The Army was the first place that I, I got a great – when I saw the meals, I was like, are you kidding me, man? This is the best I've ever eaten. This is pretty incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me where to, where to go and where, where to sleep, man. I'm in. So yeah. what's your – what are you – what's your – are you, like, plant-based or how do you how do you eat? I eat a lot of meat, a lot of grass-fed meats. Yeah. Um, I'm not afraid of fruit. I pretty much eat a pretty healthy diet, but mostly meats. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, no soda or anything like that. No, no alcohol. Do you drink at all? I don't really drink. Yeah. I, I you know what I drink? I drink a Chattajet Jack at the very end. I have a yeah. few, and I'm wasted by like two beers. <laughs> that's a good. That's I, a good. I, think I did not will one year. You hit on him or threw up on I think yeah, I was wasted. I was like, he's adorable. <laughs> You hit that well. So I remember uh, probably the first time you and I paddled together was down in your neck of the woods. I was driving through. I had contacted you. I think it was right before I went out to Molokai uh, stand up, and uh, you took me on the loop on the two man. And uh, yeah, it was the first first time I had been uh, in and out of the canoe, and. Then you and I went out to breakfast afterwards, and uh, we went out to breakfast because I had asked if you wanted to go out and grab a beer, and you said no, I don't, I don't drink. 
And uh, then while we were at, at breakfast, uh, you and I were talking and I was like, oh, so, so you don't drink at all? And you're like, no, it, it's not going to help me. It's not going to help me do and accomplish the things I want. And so I've cut it out of my life. And those words kind of resonated with me. And so I just, uh, I'm very grateful for that conversation. And I think about it a lot. And uh, I've, I've since quit drinking. Uh, I stopped drinking um, in July after, well, right before that Molokai race in 2014. Yeah. And uh it, a lot of it has to do with that that conversation you and I had because it I kind of took a good hard look at myself and realized that it wasn't helping anything and it wasn't going to help anything and it wasn't bringing anything positive to my life. So yeah, on your level, I, that's a significant impact. I'm on it. I have you to thank thank for for a lot of that. So uh, I'm very grateful and thank you. Yeah, always. So it's been over five years for you now. It has, yeah, coming up on six. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So, um, it it does make a big difference in, or it has made a big difference in my life, I think. So. Um, my, about it, man. I mean, you think about like, why do all that work and just piss it away, man? Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's nothing wrong with having beer. So you guys can do it, and it's no problem. But for me, it just didn't work. It just didn't work for me, man. No. If it helped me, I would do it. Yeah, it it took me a long time to realize that uh, it didn't work and it wasn't helping me. Well, it sounds like you like started understanding. Oh, I'm doing all this work and I'm taking away from that work. And if you got to do, listen, man, you got to do another push up to get better. And you can get better by just not doing this. For me, it's just easy math. I don't have yeah. to pull up and I'm better. Okay, I'm in. I'm not just. Not just from a physical standpoint either, but from a psychological standpoint, right? You make all this progress as a person, and then all of a sudden you just kind of rest it or whatever. I mean, that's a brilliant point. You bring up the, one of the most underrated things for athletes is the intellect mm-hmm. of what it takes, the intelligence of racing in itself and paddling and running courses and currents and wins and the application of everything that's going on. You can be the greatest athlete in the world, but if you don't have intellect and how to apply it, yeah. you're, you're going to be limited, man. And that's, that's where, you know, you excel. Yeah. Hey, you're brilliant. And even just mindset of not being, you know, a race goes vastly different if you're in a really good positive headspace or if you're in a really shitty, whether it be hungover or stress related yeah. or whatever. But, you know, I've, I've seen seasons go really well and really bad based on where I'm at in my own head, you know? It's, it's crazy. Not to live in the past, but I remember quite a few stand-up paddleboard races where I think I won the race mostly because I won the pre-party. <laughs> meaning, meaning I was able to uh, hold my beer a lot better the next morning than the other guys that I pushed into drinking more and so I was just able to deal with that's my Ali, hangover. That's Muhammad Ali style right there. I was yeah. able to deal yeah. with my it's hangover impressive. better than they were and yeah. so therefore I won the race. <laughs> I can think of at least three occasions where I uh, I definitely won the pre, pre-party. pre 
or the, the pre-race party. So, but yeah, I'll never forget <laughs> that battle of the paddle night that we were in, uh, San Clemente, man, that was, things were getting rowdy in that house. And I, I believe you, you were up at the, to go to the airport about six and you puked all over the place. Yeah. That, so that was a post, that was a post race. That party. was post party. Yeah. 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 Did you do a pre-party on that too? <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. 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 Of course we did. Yeah. Once you're, once you go, when you're going. Yeah. I used to be good at it. I liked it, man. It was fun. Just, you know, it's like with kids, you got kids, Patrick? Uh, two step kids, yeah. So it's weird because, like, the relationship you have with your kids is one way when they're young. You're big and protective, and they think you're funny, and you tickle them, and that's all they need from you. They don't need them. They just need some loving from you. And then it changes, like, five different times as they get older. And then all of a sudden, they're adults, like my kids, and you have to reevaluate everything because you can't just tickle them because they're, they're going to get pissed. Yeah. You can't just tease them because it's not funny anymore to them. And it's that journey that you go through. And I think the same the same thing applies to what you're talking about. Is you become older, you start to fundamentally change, and the journey with yourself starts to change, and you have to adjust to that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a it's an easy thing to uh, to just given our current lifestyle and the way I won't say everybody, but a lot of people live. I I think it's no surprise the prevalence of alcohol in the society based on the amount of stress that a lot of people live under, yeah, you know, absolutely. whether you're over leveraged with a house payment or kids or just obligations from social standpoint and work standpoint is that it just, you come home from whatever your day is and you take that edge off and it just, it helps you get through the day. But the trouble is when you take that edge off, you know, that pain and that discomfort is there as a motivating thing, right? It's telling you like, dude, something's out of whack here. And when you knock that shit back every day and you, and you forget every 20 hours that, man, my life's kind of fucked up right now. And you just, you take yeah. that little, it, you get stuck and you wind up a decade goes by, two decades go by. And, and, you know, I, I think it's, I don't know. I don't know, not to get too philosophical about it, but it's. Uh, I think you do know. I think when you have something that calls you, yeah, you know, for for us, the water and the challenge and the yeah. the wanting to quit, you go on calls you. Yeah. You know, to many people, liquor does the same thing. You know, my dad was a big drinker, so yeah. that was something I said. I don't want to be spending time in the bars telling my kid one more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My brother's kind of in that situation right now. But yeah. the journey, man. Yeah. Speaking of that calling, what uh. What do you think it is or when or, or what? You seem to have kind of a, a draw to the Hawaiian culture, which I feel that I do too. There's something about, I remember the day my mom came home from the grocery store. I was living, I grew up in Central Valley of California, kind of landlocked, you know, and I'll never forget the day my younger brother and my mom came home and they had a, a copy of Surfer Magazine. And I opened that thing up and it, it just instantly my life changed. And it's, it sounds whatever. No, I know it sounds right on. It was, and it's just something about, and not even, you know, that was the dark days of the thruster where every board had three fins and was between six feet and seven feet long. But there was always something about, like, Greg Knoll and George Downing and all those fucking guys that no leashes, 60-pound boards, yeah. and they spear fish. And, like, that was just, like, that's what I want to do. I want to make my own shit. I want to spear fish. I want to swim. I want to be self-sufficient. Something about that called to me, never the commercial side of it, but – 
the canoes and the paddle boards and the prone boards. And it's just, man, I don't know what it is, but. Um, well, I kind of learned about those guys. I went and studied surfing. I went back and read about surfing and studied these guys. So yeah. I know them because I didn't grow up with them. I didn't see them in pictures. But yeah. later on, thank God for the internet, I searched the internet and scoured the internet and studied yeah. those guys. Yeah. But it was it was pretty much a simple thing that did it. Um, I went to do M2O and I met I met Jerry Lopez, who I was I was pretty stoked to meet, you know, but it was at um in Waikiki and he was surfing like this little uh stand-up paddleboard, his one of his Jerry Lopez boards or something like that. And it was me, him, and this other person, and we talked for like we talked and caught waves for like an hour and a half. And coming through restaurants, I explained to my wife, I go, I wasn't catching a lot of waves. I go, but to me, it looked like the waves were like strippers going to Jerry. They just knew where he was. They kept finding him. He kept elegantly catching these waves, man. I'm like, I'm right there. I'm catching one. And he goes, you move like a fighter. So he's telling me I move like a fighter, which ironically, at that time, I trained like a boxer because no I fought stamina and surfing. And, and having the right type of tempo to last a long period of time, and it does, correlated with each other. For him to cue in that was amazing to me. Wow. It, it wasn't that. It was the fact that he, he wasn't trying to get away from me. He was just talking to me for like over an hour and catching waves with me with no, I don't know, there was just something just incredible about it for me i actually said i gotta go i didn't even have to go i said i'm gonna fuck this up i gotta get out of here so i'm like hey man he's like oh i will see you at the race man you know i'm really that's when he was doing the m2o and all that it was like a moment like that talking to dave kalama ikula kalama yeah just spending moments talking to these guys and they're they're not they're just there with you and not yeah. trying to go anywhere. And my nature is, and I still fight it, is to kind of get away from people. Yeah. And, you know, conversations are painful for me at times. Mm-hmm. Right? It's hard to get through them at times. You want to talk about paddling and water and that kind of stuff, I'm in. Training. Yeah. But just general conversation, it's it's very tough. So yeah. these guys' spirit, their mana, uh, just just blew me away. And it's not something I wanted to go to. It's something I wanted to try to cultivate some essence of it, you know, because you can't get it. Yeah. Yeah. I wish the Hawaiians were in charge of Hawaii, personally. That's just yeah. my take on it. Yeah. I remember surfing in Baja one time. Probably. Yeah, it's, it's it. Oh, it was, about, it was probably 30 years ago down in the wasn't the East Cape, and it was the west side of the southern tip. And Pat Curran, Tom Curran's dad, was out, and he was on this probably nine six, and he he literally had a piece of fucking rope as a leash. He tied it around his ankle <laughs> and went back. But this game was no joke. It was like you were talking about with Jerry's. There was probably fifteen of us out at this one spot. It was kind of a right reef point, and it was you know the sets were probably close to double overhead. Yeah. And and he'd catch a wave, and he would paddle back out to this spot probably 15, 20 yards outside everybody else. And he just knew. And every 15 minutes, this bomb would come through. Everybody would get washed in and he would just pick the cream of the crop and just every time all the way to the beach, kick back out, never lost his board. Yeah. It was, it was just incredible to witness this guy's connection to the sea, man. I, there's something to that. Yeah. No, my kids had it. My kids yeah. had it. You know, 
Max catches bumps paddling that I just, I don't even see him. And he yeah. goes, there it is, Dad, push a little bit, and you'll be going into swell. And he gets yeah. them and runs them, and it's just like that inherent ability is, yeah. you know. Yeah, we, we've been uh, just in the last couple of years in this, in the one of the local surf spots up here, there's been this. And it came kind of with stand-up, but there was a, a different approach. Like there was a different genre of people coming at surfing that kind of came from, uh, I like to call them the REI people where they, they went to REI and got the stand up and the paddle and like, and they paddle out, but it's not to say that there's any one right um, approach to it, but what they lack is that, and it's no, no good or bad thing, but I think for, from your experience and my experience and Will's experience of having an appreciation for the history and the culture of it is a huge part for me of surfing is, is that is the is the unwritten rules of the lineup and the, the hierarchy and the the history and the having experiences like surfing with Jerry Lopez and you know where you can still go out and it'd be like a golfer golfing with Tiger Woods like you can paddle out somewhere and you're like holy shit there's Kelly Slater yeah and just having this connection to the culture and the and the history of the sport where these people come in and just like well hey this was everybody's spot and and, they, and it's not that they're bad people. It's just that there's not that connection through that history and that viewpoint of the sport. Yeah, they know? don't expect it. No. When I, when I, my first paddle out to Diamond Head, it was well overhead. And I had read the Fire Makaha, you know, great stories about Buffalo Kilana and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, kind of, and I kind of reeled myself in. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to wait to catch a wave. You know, I'm going to just let people catch waves. I'm just going to go out there and get my feel. I don't care if it's an hour, hour and a half. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And this massive guy on like this 12 foot longboard, big Hawaiian guy, he goes, he, look, he looks past this one and he goes, hey, you, you go now. And I nice. saw this big sex comment and my heart's like, and I'm like, Chris, all your training comes down to this moment. <laughs> you can get some respect from this guy or, you know, to me that mattered. It meant something. Oh, hell I yeah. About it. And I caught that wave, man, and it was one of the best moments of my life, man. But I'll never forget it. He's leaning back. His arm was as big as my leg. And he goes, hey, <laughs> brother, you go down. That's awesome, man. You, yeah. you showed him respect and paid the dues and you got the invite. Man, that's <laughs> huge. Yeah, when uncle tells you to go, you better yeah. go. Yeah. Whether it's on the wave or back to the beach, you better go. <laughs> I had this dude at Makaha one time. It was just, you know, it was a small day. There was probably four people out. And at one point, it was just me and these two other guys. And this dude was like, just like, yeah, huge. And he had like knife scars and tats. And and uh, it was a little, you know, the inside peak. So it was the right. And this guy took off. And I was like, fuck, man, I'm getting out of the way. I went, paddled over across the peak, up through the white water. I left this dude wrapped the biggest cut back, came back around, and his board was like a matrix moment. His board was like this. It went like, <sighs> literally almost took my face off. And I was, I swear to God, after that, I was checking my teeth. Like, did I just take my teeth out? And he just paddled back by me, and he kind of looked at me, and I was like, no said, man. I, I'm not in the way. And I, I paddled in and rolled <laughs> the door pounding the khakis, man. It was, I got point taken. So, so it's crazy. So switching gears a minute, uh, kind of a big, big switch here, but um, let's talk about ice baths. Yeah. I love ice baths. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, everybody has different, different opinions about them and how they feel. 
Uh, you can read whatever literature you want on the science behind them, whether it's good for you or bad for you. Um, I, my kind of opinion is if, if it feels good for you, then it's probably going to be okay. Um, unless it's boost. Unless it's, you know, boost drugs, things like that. But uh, yeah. yeah, just, just talk, talk to us a little bit about where you're at with ice baths. I know you, you guys throw it into your training. Yeah. So uh, yeah, let's, let's hear about it. Well, I don't like the cold. Period. There's no like in between for me. I don't like to be cold. I like I like heat. I'm used to being in super hot weather where you lose five pounds of power. You know, it's Florida. It's it's beyond the heat. But I understand that. But I want to be better. And in my quest to be better, I read a lot of things. You know that I didn't totally understand what they were saying about ice baths and how they impact you. I understand that inflammation and brown adipose tissue and things like that. But I didn't have any knowledge for myself that I could actually do it. So initially, I would do ice baths with my buddy. And I'm like, we need to try these inside the workout. He's like, it won't work. You'll be too cold. You'll pull your muscle. Everybody I talked to about it tried to tell me not to do it. So I'm like, my four, I'm always like, I try to embrace my 16-year-old me who would be like, I ain't fucking let anybody tell me fucking anything. <laughs> So I embrace that and I'm going, you know what? I'm gonna put this, I'm gonna put this in our workout. So we put the we put the ice bath interval in our last four sets of our workout that we do. Patrick, Patrick Clemwich, you know Patrick. Yeah. And uh, man, we do it the first time, and I go to do my pull-ups, and I literally go, and I'm like, holy shit. I felt absolutely fantastic after the ice bath going to do the pull, the breath hold pull-ups and the breath hold push-ups. I do it again. I feel fantastic again. I do it again. I feel fantastic again. And it's literally something that's grown to something that we just do now as part of the way we train. We've probably been doing it for over a year now. And the impact has been so significant that it absolutely rejuvenates and strengthens you up to do more, you know, do your, you finish your sets. So are you doing it? You're doing it during training. Are you doing it um, on? Do you even have, you don't even have off days? So um, I, I guess that's kind of kind of a moot question. <laughs> Not able to be off. Yeah. Um, so if, like what I've been doing uh, recently is I won't ice bath right after my workout um, because I feel there is a good amount of science behind you know muscles, uh, muscle growth with inflammation yeah. and, but like, like yesterday, for example, I ice bath at the end of my day. Um, I, you know, the day before I had a big workout, the day before that I had a big workout and I didn't ice bath those days. And then yesterday I had a good ice bath session. I can throw a comparison measuring those three days next week, John. You feel 100% better on the ice bath day? Did you feel not better? The same? Um, I so I skipped a workout yesterday just because I felt my body needed a rest day. Okay. That was really the only reason, um, and I still wanted to hold myself accountable to doing something. So I said, "I'm ice bathing today." Um, and one 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 thing uh, I heard recently on a, another podcast was the idea with ice baths being a great way 
for you to manage yourself in a crisis because you're you're putting your body through uh, something it really doesn't want to be through. Right. You, know, you have yeah, you immediately put yourself in fight or flight mode, and you know it's re- re- releasing all these endorphins and everything else, and that is you know, super positive for uh, everything, mind, body, everything like that. So, um, so that's kind of how I've worked it into my training. It's not necessarily part of part of my workout, but it's part of a rest slash whatever day where I just still want to get something in and hold myself accountable to something like, okay, today, today's an ice bath day. I, I, Cause I, I've been ice bathing regularly now for six months I think, yeah. and it never gets any easier. No, it, it, it doesn't matter. Train it the same way. You just get better at it. Yeah. You can do it longer. Oh, I, I, I don't know if I'm getting better at it, but <laughs> uh, my, my ice bath is, it's, it's terrifying. In terms of ice baths, how long have we really been talking about this? You know, obviously pro athletes have done it to a point. You saw Jordan ice his knees down back in the day. That was like a big deal. But if you think about things that come across the board, it's in, it's in its infancy. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know yeah. because if we allow it to be this specifically, then we're, we might be missing out on all these other things. I'd rather get 20 things wrong and try and do stuff than having someone dictate to me what it's supposed to mean to me. Because, you know, I can't I can't do it. I can't comprehend it that way. I have to touch it, feel it, experience it, and then express it. So I think I think you should open the door up a little bit and mess around a little bit. Because I would definitely be interested in your feedback of you saying, I didn't like that. Hey, that was awesome. Or whatever. Yeah. I have... There have been a couple times where I've had a, a morning workout and I'll follow it up with an ice bath and then I'll go to work and then I have a workout at the end of the day. And I'm not saying that, you know, I crushed that workout or whatever, but uh, I definitely feel like I'm starting back at, at point zero rather than, um, rather than, you know, feeling fatigued from my morning workout. Yeah. Uh, so, and, you know, I've seen, um, the CrossFit games, for example, you'll see athletes go through their workout, their, you know, whatever event they're on in their competition, yeah. and then they hop right in an ice bath because they have two more events that day. And I mean, it's the CrossFit games. Those events aren't easy. So, um, no, 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 no. and so they're using that as a quick recovery. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I like reading both the positive and negative things about it, you know, saying that, you know, it's good for inflammation of your muscles and then reading and then reading that it's bad for, it's bad because it takes away the inflammation of your muscles. Yeah. Yeah. And so if I can take those, those bits uh, independent of each other and use them independent of each other. So kind of like, kind of like I, I was, you know, I had two hard training days. I did an ice bath. I gave my, my body a day to work with whatever inflammation it was given. And then I hop in the ice bath to kind of reduce it and get ready for the next day or something. Just kind of playing, playing with things like that to see how it's. How about, how about something that people have the mental power of ice bath, the mental pain. Once again, pain is the ultimate, ultimate and meditative, you know? Yeah. And that's Think about it. That's kind of more. You feel like a stronger person because you withstood something your body's telling you to get the fuck out. 
right now. My hands are, it fucking hurts. What are you fucking doing? And then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, my core is actually pretty warm. It actually feels kind of good. And the breathing starts to calm down. And then you're like, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it now is that it's, it's more of a mental workout. And uh, I don't know, I, I'm still super interested in using it as a tool. And yeah. I still can't get my wife to ice bath. <laughs> but that's all right. Uh, we each have our own thing. So, um, but yeah, that five or six or seven minutes is just—it's the hardest, hardest part of my day yeah. every time I do it. And I think that's why I keep doing it is because I have complete control over what the hardest part of my day is going to be. So, it's interesting when you mention the um, the inflammation being necessary for muscle growth, <laughs> but I, but I wonder. Um, Boys, I, calm down. I wonder if inflammation if it affects power or strength and not just growth. Like if you look at guys like Alex Honnold, he can do 51 finger pull-ups. The guy's got so much power and he's as thin as a as a weed, you know? So I'm wondering, I wonder if there's like does the inflammation affect just muscle growth or does it affect uh, you guys would know better than I do. So yeah, to kind of I, I don't know what the deal with inflammation is and why that guy is so freaking strong doing one finger pull-ups. Um, That's what I but, How do you develop the power? I but, think it's, you know, if you think about consistency, what's, what's everybody talk about when they talk about training? They talk about two things, motivation and intensity. But really, motivation has nothing to do with training, man. If you're motivated 10% of the time, that's, that's, that's pretty good. It has to do with determination. Are you going to show up? It's like having a relationship with somebody. Some, some days are good. Some days you're crying. Some days you're in the best mood. You go through these emotions all the time, but you show up to train every single time. You know? And that's, I think that's the biggest challenge. And then intensity. It's not intensity, man. It's consistency over long periods of time breeds success. So if you think of things that you can do small every single day, they turn into these things that people go, that's amazing. Only you can do that. No, that's not true. Yeah. I just slowly work myself or someone slowly worked themselves to that position. I think the same thing applies with Alex is it was that consistency yeah. and that passion and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like, what, kinda what, like did what, do, what did he do at the end of that movie? When pull-ups. Pull ups. Right. Yeah. He straight to doing pull-ups. <laughs> what do you guys do? I don't know. I don't want, I just want to hang from here. That, yeah. That's exactly what I mean. It's that that was for me. That was the mo that was a key to all of it. Everything he was was that moment right there. Yeah, that's who he was. He was a climber. Yeah. It's just what he does. Still not there. He's still that's still not the yeah. finish line. He's, there's no sad. You know, anybody else would be like I'd be done. I'd move on. Well, that's great. Yeah. He's teaching you something if you just pay attention. Yeah, interesting point. But yeah, it's just all about keeping going and. Mm -hmm. See how long you can maintain that. That's why old guy, old, old guys make very good paddlers. Yeah, they're already in pain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's true. Yeah, I think so you just let like it uh, ten. It's like okay, all right, it doesn't hurt yeah. as much. That's just the warm up. Yeah, yeah. But it's true, man. It takes me an hour to get the chat jack or something. It's like all right, now I'm feeling good. Let's yeah. go. This is, that this first is couple of yeah, this yeah. is where I step off. Yeah, yeah. 
You got so a lot of good uh, years ahead of you, Sonny. Was <laughs> it's two o'clock your time almost? But what's uh what's on the plan for the rest of the day? You still I'm have training to do? I already paddled today. I already did a double, so I'm pretty good. I did that paddle with my buddy at five thirty or six fifteen, and then I did a I did that interval. So that was great. So just kind of relax, eat, play video games. <laughs> how much how much fishing do you do? I noticed that gun back there. Oh none. None. So I just got it. I just it's something I want to get into. Yeah. Yeah. I've been down a couple times, dude. It's 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 like one of those things where people are like, You're gonna be good at it. Man, yeah. shut up. Yeah. I'm not good at anything. Can I just go and be bad at it for a while? Yeah. It's a trip, man. I, I haven't done much of it, but I I shot this halibut in Baja one time. It was the first fish I ever got. Oh, yeah. And, I, and, I, and he was still fully alive when I was reeling him in. And it was like this. I remember audible screams coming out of my mouth as I'm trying to, like, butt this thing to death on the bottom yeah. of the back of my spear gun. It was a pretty, pretty intense experience, man. Yeah. But, so what's what's your next race that you're doing that won't be canceled, hopefully? Know. Well, right now I'm, I'm doing... Chat Jack, and then M2M with you. Next year. Yeah. Right. But I'm trying, you know, might as well push the limit a little bit, huh? Get ready to start gearing up. You got to come by the cabin this year, Christian. We got the uh, number 14 cabin on the dock there at the finish yeah. line. And we've been having chicken and barbecue and beers and stuff after oh, for the to. last bunch of years, man. You got to stop in. Yeah. Yeah, you can get all hopped up on one beer and start hitting on Oh, no. Yeah. In my head? I'm already imagining how much chicken I can eat. Oh, it's so good. Protein, that's like a party, oh, man. And that deep fried, like, bargain basement chicken from down in Tennessee, yeah, man, out for 32 miles. It's yeah. like, oh, my God. And I normally so get a cheer wine in the, in the little cabin there. That's like one of my things. Oh, I'm yeah. Wine a year. Nice. A what wine? A cheer wine. It's, a, it's not wine. It's like soda. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cheer wine. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. Well, well, are you coming out this year? What are you going to do? Are you guys cruise plan sack now that, that the bugs are here? Well, training-wise, we're on the water, so we're still good because we have access. But, like, yeah. um, no, I, hopefully they still have it. I'm going to OC2 with some. Oh, yeah, I think Chad and Jeff will go. But, Will, are you still going to Peru or no? Oh. Uh, Peru has been canceled. Uh, oh, man. Uh, I think we did really well with not talking about uh, the current state of the world for the last yeah. Hour and a half. So, so good job on us. But um, but Peru has been canceled, and so that might free up other time and funds for other travel later later in the year. So we'll we'll see how that evolves. But I will I'll keep you guys in the know. Thank you. Yeah. But th this has been an awesome conversation. So I'm I'm psyched that you could join us today and. Uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing your stories with us. Yeah, man, a little, a little embarrassing, kind of tough to do it sometimes, but uh, no, it's, it's it's something that that uh, you talk about a lot, which is uh, pure honesty, buddy. Pure honesty, yeah. Pure honesty. So, um, but yeah, thanks thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah, it, always good to chat with you. And yeah. One last one last question: Where's uh where's the stay steady come from? It's the mentality of doing little things every day that accomplish, you know, climb mountains. And then once you get on top of that mountain, you look at the next one and you go, okay, now that you're here, can we go now? Yeah. Can we start training now? So it's kind of like the moment when you you start working with an athlete 
and they don't think they can get to a certain point, and then they get to that point, and you're like, okay, now you're fucking here. Can we get to work? Yeah. And they were like, I just put in three years to get here, and this guy's telling me, what? And it's just kind of like that shaking of their world gets shaken up, and they're like, wow, I really thought I – I really thought I, I learned something. I'm realizing I'm just starting to learn now, you know? So the stay steady has to do with just consistency in life. Awesome. Friendships, family, and all those things. Nice. Awesome. Well, continue to stay steady yeah. and keep moving forward. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed, please check out our other episodes and share it with some like-minded people. Tune in next time when we talk some more about paddling, life, and everything in between. Check us out on Instagram at wicked.aloha.podcast for some pretty pictures and updates. And don't forget to keep moving forward.